Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. This week we experienced some technical issues in the recording of the sermon. We apologize for this inconvenience and we want to do the best we can to help you grow. If you go to the sermons page on our website and click the extras tab, we are including a full manuscript of the sermon as well as discussion notes for you to consider. If you want to get the most out of this sermon, your best bet is to read the sermon manuscript and also listen to the sermon. Our audio picks up the sermon about 10 minutes in. This is the final sermon in our study of the book of James called Authentic Faith. Our text this week is James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, which says, My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As we close out our study of James, we see a community of authentic faith that gives pursuit to the wanderer gives courage to the struggler, gives hope to the doubter, and gives grace to the sinner. Every life is worth saving. People who have authentic faith for themselves want authentic faith for others. We are called to seek the spiritual well-being and eternal good of those around us. In the days leading up to Christmas, Let's allow the heart of Jesus, our rescuer and king, to stir our love for our neighbors and our city. You can do this, but you're invited to be one of the ones who steers people back. It's not something for professional Christians. It's not something for super saintly people. It's not something for people that have arrived. It's not something for only for people that wrote the scriptures. It's not, it's not for people that kind of are in this special class of Christians or superstars. It's whoever that means you're invited to participate in the mission of God to, store people, to steer people back and keep them on the right path. And I love that about the scriptures. He's saying to us, you can do this. Whoever is involved in this kind of work is available to come alongside someone and turn them back to the right path. Now, what does it mean to turn someone back to the right path? It means that they're going the wrong way and you've got to turn them around, right? Um, can I get anyone to planes, trains, and automobiles? Your car going, you're going the wrong way. You know, you've got to turn around. You've got to do something else. You know, there's a guy in 1964, uh, one of the greatest or most legendary defenses in all of football were the Purple People Eaters of the Minnesota Vikings. And so these guys were legendary for the, just their, uh, their, their prowess on the defensive side of the ball. And one of the guys that was on that Purple People Eater line was a guy named Jim Marshall. Unfortunately, Jim Marshall now is known as Jim Wrong Way Marshall has become his official title because at one point they knocked a fumble loose in a big game and he picked the fumble up and he ran all the way to the end zone in the wrong way and he was so excited when he got there, he just threw the ball up in the air and out of bounds and scored for the other team. And so Jim Marshall played 20 years in the NFL and he became known as Jim Wrong Way Marshall. How'd you like to have a 20 year career and the one thing you're known for was the seven seconds where you ran the wrong way? See, what he needed was he needed a teammate. He needed someone to chase him down. He needed someone that, that beat him to the punch and got him and said, bro, stop, you know, pivot, 
Let's go that way because this way is going to get you labeled in a way you don't wanna be remembered the rest of your life. And that's the picture that James wants us to get. And you know, we've, you see that sometimes in life. What does it look like for us in terms of our, our real lives? And I, I can remember times when, uh, just different stories and watching a guy that seems to be veering off course in terms of his relationship with his wife and begins to uh, ha- take up a relationship with another lady that is just clearly enmeshed and going a little too far and, begin- and sitting down with him and saying, bro, you're going the wrong way. Your wife is no longer getting your best. Your wife is getting leftovers and this other woman's getting your best and trying to work and, 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 and feeling the tension of that relationship and trying to turn him down the right course. And in that instance, man, it, he, he, he refused to turn. And I remember about three years later hearing that he and his wife were no longer together and calling him up and saying, man, could I fly to your city and just buy you a burger and just see how you're doing? Because he had continued to go down a path that was gonna lead to destruction and it had led to a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and he refused to turn back. But you know, there's another story I can tell you of another guy that we were hearing about, um, the, the, a rumor came to me, and not really a rumor, but a, re, a report came to me that he had defrauded some guys of some business stuff. And in that conversation, we, I just kind of looked at these guys like, oh no, he's, that's not even a, a real amount of money to him. Like, I'll just go talk to him, I'm sure it'll be fine. Well, I called him up and he didn't answer and I sent him a text, he doesn't answer and try to reach out for him, don't find him, look for him the next Sunday, don't find him. Eventually like, I guess I'm gonna go to his house, go to his house, knock on his door. And as I knock on his door, I hear his garage door in the back go up and his car back out and he takes off. And I go, man, this guy's running the wrong way. This guy has veered off course and he's gone the wrong direction. Um, not long after that, I got a cease and desist law- letter from, from his lawyer and in the beginning, another conversation of what we were able to try to walk with this guy in. And he was refusing to really deal with the junk in his life and he was running in a different direction. But you know, two years later, I got a call from him and he said, I want you to know I've turned things around and I've gotten help and gotten some things that I need to get fixed in my life. And you guys loved me well in the process and I want you to know that. And I know that I said you didn't two years ago, but you loved me well. And he turned around and you know, he eventually became friends uh, or continue, we continued a friendship. Uh, he was one of the guys who helped us start this church and contributed financially to this church. So from a guy who at one point was defrauding some other people financially to a guy who was investing in the mission of God. He had turned things around. That's the picture that I think James wants us to get in the path and the decisions that we have as we walk through this thing called life. You notice what he says, that the, what are the consequences that we have in the midst of this thing? He says, you'll save your soul from death and you'll cover a multitude of sins. And Deuteronomy 30 kind of set the stage for this. He says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you may live. Deuteronomy says, James, uh, James 1 said uh, that, that the result of sin is death and being cut off from the people of God or cut off from God and his people. He says, but each one of us is tempted when he's lured by his own desire. Then that desire conceives and gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown, bring, fully grown brings forth death. So there's consequences to the decisions that we make, that there's a path of life and a path of death. And James says, man, go run after people and keep them on the right path. Notice there's a little phrase there in verse 20 that it's kind of, you may wonder why it's there. Verse 20 says, let him know. Why, why is James saying, let him know? I think the reason is he wants us to live with a sense of conviction. He's saying, friends, you need to know 
There's consequences at stake that are real. You need to know that this is not just a, a game that we're playing, that this is not just kind of rock, paper, scissors sort of stuff. This is life and death. This is real stuff. And, and if, you, if you run after these people, you have an opportunity to save their soul from death and to cover over a multitude of sins. Let him know, James says, that spiritual death is a real thing. And when we, think of, when we think of our world, it's, it, as I said earlier, I think it's, it's hard for us to think about what that really looks like, right? Because we live in a world that says that we are to tolerate any behavior, that we're to validate any opinion, and that everyone ought to be able to kind of chart their own course. And so for us to do this, friends, it's gonna take courage. It's gonna take courage for us to come alongside someone and say, you know what, none of us have, have, have the full kind of capacity of our, of our brain and in terms of determining truth by ourselves. We need a truth from outside of us. We need a truth that God has revealed that we need to surrender ourselves to. And as long as we run after our own way, we'll continue to, we'll continue to go astray. But we surrender our way to the Lord's ways. And that ultimately is where life is found. And so to come in and to speak to someone like that, we have to speak the truth in love. But how is it that you do this? So what, what is the call for us? What's it really look like for us to, to go and bring back one who's wandering from death. Friends, ultimately it looks like love. I think love is the thing that, that ought to compel us and that ought to drive us forward. You notice what it is that, that James um, says here. He says that it's, love covers up a multitude of sins. He's not talking about covering it up. He's not talking about concealing it or sweeping it under the rug or hiding it. He's saying it covers that it, it forgives it. it. It overlays it with grace. It's, um, it's one of those things that, that we're called to do for the good of others. But just question for you, how hard is it for you to initiate a conversation with someone about spiritual things? How hard is it for you to go to a coworker or a neighbor or a friend and say, hey, I wanna talk to you about this one named Jesus that I build my life around and have that conversation? I think it can be a really difficult thing for us. But, how does, but our faith and our confidence in God ought to encourage us to do so anyway. And when I think about the friends around me and the friends that are around you, let me just ask you some questions. Who do you know that is far from God? Who do you know? And I want you to think about actual people. I want you to try to get faces in mind. Who do you know that has walked away from God? That at one time seemed like they had life and vibrancy there, but they've just walked away and seemed like there's a deadness that's there. Who do you know that's ignoring God? Who do you know that thinks that rituals and religion is the same thing as a real relationship with God? Who do you know that thinks politics and Christianity are the same thing? Who do you know that thinks Christianity is about being good enough to earn God's love? I mean, there are, there are people all over our city with dozens of questions. And what they need more than anything else is someone to come alongside them and, and point them towards the truth someone that loves them enough to initiate with them and walk with them as they, as, they, as they come back towards understanding who God really is and what his grace is really about. Sinclair Ferguson said, it isn't brain power that draws people to Christ, it's kindness. And I think one of the reasons we don't engage people is we think, well, I'm not smart enough. Well, I'm not, I don't have it all together. I don't have a theology degree. I don't, I'm not a preacher. I'm not, and I want you to know, none of us want you to be that. We want you to be the real you walking alongside real people and as a fellow wanderer coming alongside them and pointing them in the direction of truth, 
That's what this is about. And ultimately it starts with, congr- with, with kindness. You can't turn back a, a wanderer unless you love them as a fellow wanderer. And the first, the first, thing pe- first book people are gonna read is you. They wanna know, how do I feel when I'm in the presence of this person? Do I feel loved by them? Do I feel encouraged by them? Do I feel, uh, do I feel invested in by them? As we come alongside someone, we have the opportunity to, to turn them back to the truth. And think about this, James, if, if you have one book you get to write and you come to the, the end of the book, what is the message you want to leave? James has been in your face. He's been action-oriented. He's given us hard calls. He's come at us time and time again for five chapters. And where does he end as he comes to the very, the very close of his book? He ultimately puts all the commands of the book in light of the forgiveness of God. Notice he says, love covers a multitude of sins. And he comes to the end and says, even in the midst of all the high call that I've asked you to do, the ultimate thing I want you to know is that, that there's a forgiveness that covers over a multitude of sins, that there's grace for you. No one can out God's grace. No, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And this, I think there cannot be a better message for us as we enter the Christmas season. As you think about kind of where you are in the season and over the next couple weeks, as you're thinking about what it means that Jesus has come, Man, I, let's take this message of James that we, that people who have authentic faith, we wanna see authentic faith come to others. And we have a desire to do that. And the reason is because God loved us first and we experienced the grace of the gospel and that becomes a necessary foundation for us out of which we offer grace to others. John three, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish so that they would have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. And I love that verse. I love that idea at this time of Christmas as we think about God sent his son into the world and he came and he was birthed in this world fully man. He he came to us, but he came alongside us. He even became one of us in order to show us the way of life, the way to real joy, the way to eternal life. This is the incarnation. It's the, the message of Christmas. It's the message of the gospel that says God didn't leave, him, or didn't leave us to ourselves, but he sent his only son to rescue us. Let me share with you, I've got a kind of a funny story that I, I read recently of the importance of this to kind of help us understand it and kind of maybe, maybe move beyond the, the fluff of Christmas. You know, if you, uh, Christmas should never be fluff, but sometimes we get kind of inoculated to it because we've done it so often. Here's another parable that maybe explains this a different way. A guy named Joby Martin. He was talking about when he was in college. He said there was a vacant lot next to him when he, where he was in college and he used to watch and there was this kid that lived down the street and this neighbor's kid would ride his big wheel around and in this open kind of field adjacent to where they lived, there was a lot of fire ants and, and these ants would, uh, would kind of take over and this kid with a big wheel would go over on his day off and he would take a jar of jelly and he'd take this jar of jelly and he'd dump it out and pour it all over where the ants would live. And he'd wait till all the ants came out and kind of began to enjoy the jelly. And you can imagine, man, what that looked like is an entire jar of jelly spread over an open field that was full, uh, it was ant infested. Um, and, and Joby was saying, you know, the ants were thrilled. Somehow they would let all their other ant, fr- ant friends know. Maybe they put it on ant Facebook. Hey, come get the free jelly at the vacant lot. And this kid would wait until all the ants got there and then he would power slide his big wheel through all the ants and destroy them. 
Um, obviously, this kid had some issues, right? Uh, this, this, this kid is going to end up in therapy later on. Um, but Joby Martin said this. He says, now, if I loved ants and I wanted to communicate with them, it would be impossible to try to stand over them and say, hear ye, hear ye, ants. You know, do you not see the guts spilled all among you of other ants? You know, depart from this place. This is a place of great, uh, of great danger. Uh, you know, they would look at him and say, he said, well, look at the size of that boot. And that's about all, all the communication you would have with these ants. And so he goes on to say, I wouldn't have had the perspective to understand that, uh, I said, but if I were just an ant, I would not have had the perspective to understand that psycho big wheel kid is on his way with jelly and death. So I would need to simultaneously be big and powerful enough to have the right perspective and yet small as an ant to communicate with them, to grow up like an ant, speak ant language, and yet still have the right perspective. And then one day at just the right time, I would enter the colony and say, behold, ants, follow me. I know that the jelly tastes good, but look around. See all the ant legs and squished body parts? That's going to be you one day. Follow me across the street where there's no psycho big wheel kid because his mom won't let him cross the street. So that is the meaning of Christmas. Uh, man, I love that story because it gives us a different way of thinking about the incarnation. It helps us understand why Jesus came to earth. It helps us understand that he looked down and when he did, he saw, but from his eternal perspective, from his heavenly perspective, he looked down and saw that we were in a, in a path of destruction and death and pain and hardship. And he wanted to get a message through to us so desperately that he became one of us learn to talk like us, learn to walk alongside us and learn to show us a better way, a way of escape, a way of deliverance, a way of rescue, a way of life and joy. But you know, it doesn't stop there. John 17, Jesus says, uh, Jesus tells his father, as you sent me into the world, so now I send them into the world, into the world. Jesus was sent by the father to our rescue. And then Jesus turns and sends us to the rescue of others. Jesus came to restore us. And he sends us to restore others. See, part of what that means is that because we've received Christ, we want to be like Christ. And because we have Christ in us, that there is this kind of outreach impulse in us that wants to see God's grace and wants to see faith in God shared with other people. That once we've experienced God's grace, we wanna give God's grace to others. And so we ought to have these kind of God-given gospel instincts that seek out others that we can restore to the path of life. And so that's, I think, what James is ending his book and sending us to. And we really, we see this idea throughout the whole New Testament, not just for those of the body who have wandered from the faith, but really with the whole world that we were sent to go to and to tell them the good news. 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm gonna give you just a couple of these, um, but, but I want you to see as we read through a couple of these that this pattern of us receiving from God and then going and giving it to others shows up all throughout the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Friends, are you in Christ? Then you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, Christ came, restored us to right relationship with God, and then he said, now you go be a restorer of others. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
James, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, you should know there's eternal consequences at stake, but you can do this. You can be one who turns them back. Whoever turns them back can bring about great good for that person. We are ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. And does that humble you? The God of the universe, we celebrate Christmas as this moment in the eternal plan of God where God said, now Jesus go. Now Jesus become one of them. Now Jesus teach them. Now Jesus show them my glory and my grace. Now Jesus rescue them and show them the way to eternal life and the way to eternal joy. And Christmas is a, is a moment that we celebrate remembering that mission that Jesus was sent. But it also is a moment that we, that we too are being sent as those who have put our faith in him and trusted him. But you know, and so Jesus came to us so we go to others. I, I love in 2 Corinthians, let me give you one other picture of this. And, and part of what I love is, did you know that not even your pain is wasted? Not even your suffering is wasted in the mission of God. 2 Corinthians 1 says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. So stop there for a second. What's he saying? Praise God, right? So there's worship. I'm gonna worship God. Why does he worship God? Because God is a God of mercy and compassion who in the midst of all of our troubles gave us comfort. So God met us in our trouble, gave us comfort, and he responds in worship for that. It says, praise God for the fact that he gave us comfort in the midst of all of our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We receive comfort from God so that we can comfort others. You see how that works? It's what James says. You're a wanderer. Let me restore you and show you the right path. Now, if anyone wanders away, you be the one that goes to them and helps them come back to the right path. You receive from God and then you go to others. God even uses your pain and, his, and your hurt to reach people with love. And I love that. What effect does it have? Do you know that Jesus talks about, um, in, in, in the parable, several of his parables, he talks about the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son, in every one of those, Jesus comes back around and what he says is, there is a, uh, in the parable of the lost coin, he says, there's a joy before the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents. So it tells the story of a coin that's lost and he says, man, when you've lost some money, you're digging around, you're looking for it, you find it down deep underneath the couch cushion somewhere wedged underneath some other deal, you know, probably with some stuff that doesn't look too same. but you find that coin, you pull it up and you go, look, I found my lost coin. And he says, that seems like such a simple thing, but do you realize Heaven rejoices more over that one that was found. Talks about the lost sheep, the man who had 100 sheep and 99 of them are there, one gets away and he leaves the 99, he goes and finds the one and he comes back and he says, he rejoices over it more than, more than over the 99 that never went astray. And there's some kind of a gospel impulse Jesus tells in these stories that says, then our heart runs after the one that's lost. He follows that with the story of the prodigal son, the one who ran away and comes back. And you know what happens when Jesus tells that story? He comes back and the prodigal son, bent over in, in shame, hungry, bearing the weight of his sin, knowing that he had, he had betrayed his father, knowing how he had turned his back on his father, that he had run after self, is coming back, hangdog, coming back to his father. And as he walks up there, he's coming and he's rehearsing his speech. He's probably practiced this a hundred times on this journey. And he comes to his father and he says, I am the one who has sinned. And his father stops him and says, stop right there. 
And then he tells his servants, go start the party. We're gonna celebrate. Friends, God runs after the one. And when he does, he says that the angels in heaven rejoice over the one. That, that every illustration Jesus gives is when the one turns back, that there's a party that's thrown. And, and this is not some, um, some weak, uh, weak little party that you don't wanna go to. Remember, this is a, this is a Jesus who, uh, in his miracles, gave us a taste of what the kingdom was like, and his first miracle was a wedding. And he talks about wedding, uh, the, the, the party of heaven being like a wedding feast. And his first miracle was he turned the water into wine. And when they got to the cheap wine, they said, well, where'd the good stuff go? Because the good stuff was the stuff Jesus made. So Jesus knew what it was like to have a celebration. And Jesus said that the story of heaven is like, like a feast that he's inviting everyone into. And he says, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're of nobility, whether you're of intellect, whether you're uh, impoverished, whether you're lame, whether, you are, uh, whether you're clean, whether you're dirty, everyone is invited in and some refuse to come in. And Jesus says, go back out to the streets and beg them to come in. So they go out and they bring more in. And Jesus says, it's not enough. Go back out and implore them to come in to the feast that I'm gonna throw for them but the time is short because the party's coming and only those who are here, only those who have come in can enjoy it. Jesus and, and our heavenly father long to see many come to him. So what is it we're to, to do with this? And so let me just ask you this. What if God used you to bring back one? And have you ever been used by God to bring faith to someone for the very first time or maybe to, to restore someone who's wandered. I mean, there's no greater joy on earth than to see someone whose heart has been resurrected by, by our heavenly father. But it goes against our thinking, right? I think what we do is we look at the city and we go, man, I can't really make a difference. I mean, there's thousands out there that don't know Jesus. I can't really do anything. But what I think what we see here in this message is that Jesus cares about the one. So don't, don't get overwhelmed by the thousand run after the one. And James, I think his message is that you can do this. God will help you. You know, we named our church Redemption because we believe that God's redemption was big enough for all and important enough to share. That we wanted everyone to know what it was like. And Christmas may be the best possible time to let people know what it is to, or what, what God's love really looks like and what his redemption is all about. So here's my challenge to you this Christmas. And would you prayerfully consider who are the ones that you, need to, that you need to go after? Who are the ones you need to seek out? Who are the ones you need to pick up the phone and call? Who are the ones you need to go across the street and, and have a conversation with? Who are the ones you need to schedule a lunch with? Who are the ones you need to schedule coffee with? Who are the ones that God has put in your path that no one else is gonna have the opportunity to connect with and you may be their last best chance to come in and enjoy the feast with Jesus? Who are the ones that God has put in your circle of your school or your circle of your work, your circle of your neighborhood, your circle of uh, the, the places where you go and shop, the, the different circles of your life? Who are the ones that God has put out there that he's calling you? And would you prayerfully consider seeking them out? I think there's two groups to think about. And when you look even around this room, and who are the ones that were here and have left? Who are the ones that have wandered away? The ones that you knew that, I mean, they seem to have faith thing figured out for a season, but you just know they've drifted away that, that someone needs to reach out to them and say, man, let me, as a fellow wanderer, come alongside you and help you find your way back to the path of life. And so there's some of those who have wandered away. 
There's also some of those who have, never, who, have, who have never found their way in. That they don't know Jesus, they've never met him, and they don't know his grace. They've never, and they need someone to come alongside them and love them enough to share with them the truth um, of God's grace. That's, I think, our message for this Christmas season and really what I, wanna, what I wanna call us to be about. Any of you know the song, Rescue the Perishing? I'm an old school hymn. Let me end with this. Fanny Crosby was a, a lady who was blind uh, really from shortly after birth, but, penned, uh, but was a singer, was, was a songwriter of, of thousands of hymns and gospel songs. And she used to have a mission where she would go and work amongst the working class men of the city. And as she did early on in her career, this is one of the first hymns that she wrote. And she had this to say, that she was addressing a large company of working men one hot August evening. And the thought crossed her mind that there was some mother's son that must be rescued that very night or perhaps not at all. She said, so I requested that if there was any boy present who had wandered away from his mother's teaching, he would come. And, and let me know. And she made a point to try to talk to every young man that was there. Eventually, he said, at the end of the night, a young man of 18 came forward and said, did you mean me? I promised my mother that I would meet her in heaven, but as I'm living now, that would be impossible. And so she began a dialogue with him and talked with him. And eventually, she said, we prayed for him. And he finally arose with a new light in his eyes and exclaimed triumphantly, now I can meet my mother in heaven for I have found her God. And Fanny Crosby penned this hymn partially in response to that. And really it's based out of what Jesus said about the the great banquet. In Luke 14, he said, still there is more room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. And out of that verse, she wrote these words, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Friends, that's the story of Christmas. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. And he's left us here to rescue the perishing. And let's make the most of it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for this season when we're reminded of your great love and of your joy and of the grace that we have in Christ. Father, would you, would you compel people to come in to enjoy the feast of joy that you want them to know? Father, would you use us to do so? Would you give us just the privilege to share with others your love and your grace? Father, for your glory and for their good. Amen. Even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love. I want to sing that chorus again, but before we do, uh, man, the whole time Jeff was talking, I just was like, this is my story. This is my story. God, you came after me just like that. Um, And I, I can remember to this day, my best friend, Brad Briggs, I was in high school and I was running from the community, the love, the church that God had led me to. He just kept persisting. He would leave messages on my answering machine. At that time, I had like the teen line message uh, answering machine in my room. It'd be like the equivalent to getting a bunch of text messages today. 
but he just kept relentlessly coming after me when I was running from church and running from God. And he didn't have eloquent things to say. He wasn't preaching to me. He was just loving me. He was just saying, Chris, I love you, man. Come back, come back. Would you come back? I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you are. There's a church here. There's a community here that loves you and misses you. Would you please come back? And then one day I picked up the phone and I listened to him and with tears flowing down my face, I said, man, you're right. I've been running. I need to come back. And I'll never forget the Sunday he drove over, picked me up in his car, took me to church and I was ashamed walking in the doors thinking everybody's gonna know what I've been up to. And the church just embraced me, loved me, wrapped their arms around me, said, welcome back. Welcome back, we love you. And that began my journey of understanding grace and mercy and the love of God, the Father. It wasn't eloquent words. And so I I say that to encourage you guys, just you can do this, right? You can do this. You can love somebody like that. You probably already are. Just keep going. Sing this chorus. Help me love with open arms like you do. Love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Oh, then when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love.